Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Glad to see everyone. We teach in series, meaning we take a topic and we talk about it for several weeks. And this series we're in now is Things Jesus Never Said. Now, why would a church talk about things Jesus never said? Well, it's kind of a setup. So we're going to talk about things Jesus didn't say so we can tell you what Jesus actually did say. Now, the whole Bible is, is, is awesome and inspiring. There seems to be something a little more special about those. If you've got a red-lettered Bible, and I have one of those, the words of Jesus are in red. And they're just very, uh, as we're going to see today too, uh, powerful. Just uh, uh, really, really interesting what he had to say. So let's just kind of think about some things Jesus never said. For example, uh, come follow me and you'll get all the best parking spaces. Does that happen to you all the time? Doesn't happen to me all the time. Uh, we've got any teenagers in here. Come follow me and you won't have a zit on prom night. God didn't promise you that, did he? Uh, some of you watch Netflix. God didn't say, come follow me and, and your internet won't buff, buffer when you're watching Netflix. God didn't say that, did he? God didn't say, come follow me and you'll be healthy all the time. You don't ever need to go to a doctor. God didn't say, come follow me and you'll have all kinds of money. You'll be wealthy. God didn't say that. So there's a lot of things God didn't say. And the one we want to focus on today that God didn't say is that you won't have bad days. Now, or bad weeks or bad months or bad years. He never said that. Now, we had an interesting week this week. Um, We have this thing we do every summer with our grandkids. We call it Mappy and Pappy Camp. And so... Whatever grandkids can come came to our house. So we had four of our grandkids and one of their nieces and nephews. So we had six kids. And most of the time it's just my wife and I. Nice and quiet, right? So from Sunday to Wednesday we had six kids or five kids for most uh, one day uh, come to our house. So this was Sunday. On Monday about four o'clock in the afternoon, guess what happens? Our power goes out. Can you imagine six kids with no electricity? For almost five hours. (laughs) No power. I consult, I call that a bad day. (laughs) Then I wake up on Wednesday morning, and there's this horrible noise coming from the kitchen. I go check it out. Our refrigerator's not working. Move all the food in someplace else in the house. Call the repairman. He did show up at 9.30 that night. And he was able to fix it just like that. But you can imagine six kids with no refrigerator. (laughs) So that was a bad day. We're going to look at something John wrote about the last hours of Jesus' life. And John chapters 15, 16, and 17, this is these things Jesus is telling his disciples. Kind of just telling them, this is what I want you to remember because I'm leaving. All right? So it's really fascinating. And we're just going to look at a couple verses in there. And they're going to focus on what Jesus didn't say about not having bad days. So, here it says, and if you've got a Bible, um, if you want to look it up or your smartphone, that's fine. This translation says it this way. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. What was going to happen to him? Going to die on a cross, right? But the world will rejoice. Now, he's talking about the evil world. Now, the world isn't necessarily evil, but he's talking about the evil part of the world. You will grieve. People die, we grieve. But your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. When did that happen? On the first Easter, right? Now this fascinating, in this, in this uh, part of John's writing, uh, what Jesus said, 
Jesus used the word world 19 times. He said things like, I'm going to give you peace, not peace as the world gives. He said, I left the Father to come to this world. I'm going to leave this world to go back to the Father. He said, this world hates you. It also hated me. He said, you do not belong to this world. He said, um, we want not, you not to be out of this world, but not to be of this world. Now, it's interesting. He said, turns to wonderful joy. Now, that's kind of hard to wrap our heads around. So Jesus, being this master teacher, he said, ah, let me give you a good illustration. So here's the illustration. For you ladies that are moms, you'll understand it the best. <laughs> it'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. How many of you have done that? Go ahead, put your hands up. You should be proud. <laughs> All right, suffer the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish, that's how it's described. So that sounds pretty severe, right? Gives way to joy. That's true, right? Because she has brought a new baby into the world. Now, we've got four kids, and my wife did this, you know, natural childbirth thing, didn't want any painkillers, thought it might be bad for the child. And um, so, uh, I'm kind of wimpy. I probably would have taken pain medicine. But anyway, <laughs> I was there. And I remember this one time, I forget which, which one it was, there's this monitor hooked up to her and it was showing the labor pain. So I'm watching, I said, I'm telling my wife, yeah, 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 here comes a big one. She was about ready to punch me because <laughs> she knew better than I did what was coming. And I'm just watching this monitor. <laughs> but anyway, all right, so the baby is born. Let me ask you a question, moms. In fact, I've never met a mom that said this. Was it worth it? Was the pain worth it? 100% of women will say, yes, it was worth it. So, pain can also produce joy, right? That's a beautiful example. So then he goes on, so you have sorrow now, because I, Jesus, am leaving, but I will see you again. Then you'll rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. No one can take that away. Moms, no one can take away that joy of bringing that life into, into the world, can they? Jesus was saying the same thing to his disciples, said the same thing to you and I. Then we'll skip down a few verses, and he said this. I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. You're going to be pain and suffering, sorrow, grief, and everything, but you can have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have how many trials? A few? Many, many, many. Don't like that word, do we? <laughs> you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. Don't get too down or depressed or discouraged because I have overcome the world. Now, this is true of people that are Jesus followers and not, right? Many trials and sorrows. But he's specifically talking to Jesus' followers. So what Jesus is basically saying is, hey, I'm going to promise you pain. Welcome to being a follower of Jesus, right? <laughs> Welcome to church. I'm going to give you pain. And some of you are going through pain now. I don't know all of you, and I don't know all of your circumstances. Some of you may be lonely, either... You lost your spouse. We've had some ladies lose their husbands this year. Uh, maybe you're divorced. Maybe not by choice, but now you're divorced. Maybe you've never been married and can't find that special someone. So you, you're, you're lonely. Uh, 
Some of you are suffering physically. Uh, maybe you know what it is. Maybe you're in the doctor. Maybe it's fixable. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're just wondering what it is. Some of you have financial difficulties. Uh, something maybe you can fix, something you can't fix. Don't know what you're going to do. You have that pain. Probably the worst pain is relational pain, right? So maybe you're married, but you and your wife are at odds. You and your husband or wife, your, your mate. Uh, maybe you're a parent and you raised that child and did the best you can and he's just gone wild, they're going crazy, doing stupid stuff and it's, he's breaking your, breaking your heart. Maybe it's work-related. Maybe there's somebody at work you don't get along with or maybe you hate your job. The cystics say half people hate their job. I can't imagine. Uh, she's, but you got to work, got to make money, so you go. So either you're afraid, you're hurting, or maybe you're just simply overwhelmed. And so we say something like this, God, where are you? Where are you? Why do I have this difficulty? I'm doing the best job I can to to being a Jesus follower. Why is this happening to me? So let's just analyze this a little bit. (laughs) If pain is promised, or pain is a promise, then there must be a purpose. There's a purpose to everything God allows to happen to us. If we believe that God is actually the God we think he is. Let me give you two purposes. There could be more. I'm sure there are more. One purpose, pain is a promise because it proves your faith. It proves your faith. You know what? I don't know if I'm really a Jesus follower or a Christian or not. I'm not sure. I mean, I believe that God exists and believe that Jesus died, but I'm not sure. And sometimes I don't feel like I am. Feelings can lie. So, Pain can prove your faith. Now, <clears throat> about 30 years after Jesus, the emperor of Rome became Nero. Nero was a really, really wicked guy. And the, the Christian church started to grow and didn't like Christians, so he started persecuting them. One thing he used to do was horrible. He'd have a party, and to light up the party, they didn't have electricity, to light up the party, he would take Christians, pour wax on them, set them on a post, and light them on fire. Can you imagine? That was the lamp. That was the light. And so in the, having a party in the midst of the screams of the Christians dying, being burnt to death. So this is the persecution of the early church. We think we got it tough nowadays. Nothing like the early church. So Peter is writing in this time frame, in this context. And uh, here's what something Peter wrote, one of Jesus' disciples. He said this, right? At the beginning of this letter he wrote, these trials... Oh, excuse me. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Be glad. There's joy ahead. But even though you must endure what? Many (laughs) trials for a little while. Okay. Even if they last the end of your life, if you're burnt on a stake, that's the end of it, right? And then you can have joy. In fact, that literally means jump for joy. Jump for joy. Oh boy, I'm being burnt on a stake. I can jump for joy. Not because of what's happening to you, but because of what God has done for us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. And he goes on, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. So if there's a genuine faith, there is a non-genuine faith or a counterfeit faith. So how are you going to know if you've got the real thing? 
I know my mother-in-law used to work at a bank, and, they, and they, the tellers would study not counterfeit bills. They would study the real bill because when you saw a counterfeit one, there'd be something wrong with it. So what does the, the real faith look like? Well, he gives us this illustration. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. So you've got a piece of metal, a piece of ore with gold in it. If you heat it up, the gold melts pretty low temperature, and so the gold will run out. And so you can purify it. Then you just have gold. So our faith needs to be tested so it can be purified. It can be uh, uh, genuine, uh, not counterfeit, being a true worth. That ore is not worth much. The gold is worth much. So he says, your faith that's going to grow through this testing is far more precious than mere gold. Much more worth to, tr- to faith that is tested. So I put on your outline, a faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. Now I do carpentry work, some of you know, and sometimes you build something you have to stand on. So the first time you stand on, or you build something for somebody else to stand on, you kind of test it, right? To make sure it's strong enough to hold your weight. And if it's not, then you have to reinforce it. So our faith is the same way. It needs to be tested. Now Jesus told this story. We call them parables. It was kind of interesting. He said, this person goes out to sow the seed. They didn't plant it in holes. They just threw the seed out there on the ground. And he said it falls in four different places. And three different places, either the packed path or the rocky soil. Uh, it just, you know, it started to grow, but it couldn't grow. Or it didn't even start to grow. There was only one of the four that got that grew, that the roots grew down into the ground, so consequently it would grow up and bear fruit. So that's what needed to happen with our faith. So I got thinking about the history of our church, and at different times we've gone through times of testing. And one of the biggies, very personal to me, obviously, is six and a half years ago, our daughter-in-law, Erin, most of you knew, a lot of you knew, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so all of us are praying, right? We're all praying that... She gets well. And lots of other people are praying. And we're praying, we're praying, we're all anticipating, expecting her to get well. Well, this, we dedicated the, the pavilion to her because it's been five years since she died. Now, the amazing thing during that time is I'm thinking, okay, people are going to get mad at God. You know, this is a 30-couple-year-old young lady with three children, small children. If my God, if your God is going to let her die, then I'm not going to believe in that God. But that's not what I saw happen. I saw people's faith grow and trust God even more even though Aaron suffered and the family and us suffered and died. We've got a former member now named Belle who is seriously ill. She needs a liver transplant. She's second on the list, whatever that means. And she basically can't do anything. She can't function right now. Her husband's taking care of her. We're collecting money for her. And we're all praying and she's praying that she gets well. But she also said, hey, and she got saved here, and we baptized her a few years ago. She said, hey, I want Pastor Allen to do my, my memorial service, celebration of my life, you know, if I was to die. She isn't losing her faith because of the trial. One of my favorite quotes comes from a pastor, Rick Warren. He's out in California. He said this. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. And I thought, eh, I don't know about that. Well, parents, you understand this, right? So what is your goal as a parent? Is it to make your, the life of your kids as comfortable as possible? Is that your goal? I hope not. Grandparents, we do that. <laughs> 
Grandkids, yeah, you just want you to be comfortable. But as parents, what is your goal? You want them to, to grow up. You want them to mature. You want them to become, you know, contributing members of society. And how does that happen? Well, you give them chores and you discipline them. And when they're old enough, they go, you tell them to go out and get a job. So God is more interested in your and my. He's our father, heavenly father. Our character, that we grow up, that we mature, than that we just be comfortable. So, proves our faith. What's another thing that pain might be a purpose of pain? Well, <clears throat> I think if pain's a promise, there must be a purpose. And one of the purposes, it makes us usable. You and I usable. Here's a news flash for you. Ease and comfort never make you stronger. Sitting on a couch eating potato chips doesn't make you stronger. What does? Resistance. Now, I don't do resistance training. I'm not a weightlifter, but I'm a runner. I've been running the same place for the last couple of weeks. I've been running up, you know where Annapolis Rocks and Black Rocks is? So I've been running up from 70. I've been running up there, or walking part of the way up there. If you've been there, it's pretty steep. And what am I doing? I am facing resistance of gravity anytime you go up. So I've been doing it for several weeks. My times are getting better. I'm getting stronger. Why? Because of the resistance. Now we're going to write, read something that James, a brother Jesus, wrote. It's interesting. All these early Christian writers wrote about the same thing. And... Uh, he was a leader in the early church, and he said this, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Trouble and joy, we don't put them together, right? For you know that when your faith is tested, there it is again, your endurance has a chance to grow. You can get stronger. See, when we face troubles, we either complain or we can grow. And most of us are good complainers. We're not so good at growing, are we? So he goes on, he says, so let it grow. Grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. It's a learning time, but potentially a learning time, if we let it be a learning time, a growing time for us. So here's a question for you. Could it be that God's preparation comes packaged as pain? Ugh. Yeah, I think so. All kinds of examples. Joseph is one that stands out to me. As a teenager, his ten older brothers hated him. Going to kill him, but finally just decide to sell him into slavery. Okay, thank you, brother. Thank you, bros. Does the best job he can at that, and he winds up in this household of Potiphar. Uh, his wife tries to seduce him. He resists, but she lies, and so Potiphar has him thrown in prison. So from the time he's a teenager to the time he's 30 years old, he's either a slave or a prisoner. Talk about pain. And then he becomes the second most powerful person in the world. And he helps save the tens of hundreds of thousands of people from starvation, including his family, who became the Jewish nation. Or how about Peter, close to Jesus? The same night that we looked at earlier, Jesus said to Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to die on me three times before, the, before morning. Peter said, nah, it's not really going to happen. I'd die for you, Jesus. Not only does he deny him three times, he denies him before a teenage girl. Three times. And then a couple weeks later, we have the birth of the church. We call it Pentecost. Who got to preach the sermon? The first sermon. 
Peter and 3,000 people became Jesus followers. The pain of that betrayal of Jesus made Peter the person that could preach that sermon. So we develop resilience through resistance, not through comfort. Now, I don't know if you all know this or not, but preachers, pastors, types like me get criticized a lot. Not just a little, a lot. It's kind of like no win. Like, you know, if you do this, this, those people don't like it. If you do this, those people don't like it, right? There's just one word here. If you want to criticize, or when you criticize, I should say this, please be grown up enough to put your name on it. Got a card last week, somebody complained about something. No name on it. Come on. Be adult. Put your name on it, at least. But anyway, I've been criticized plenty over 40 years, and I'm still standing. <laughs> so, um, time to grow. Uh, one of our favorite expressions uh, is the last part of this, this next line. <clears throat> uh, uh, can't think of her name. Shirley used to use this a lot. The setback, the problem, the trial, the difficulty, may be a setup for God to show up and to sew off. And we saw that a lot in the early years of the church. Hopefully you picked that up when we were going through those pictures. So what does pain do? Pain does a lot of, a lot of good stuff. It, it humbles me, right? And hey, yeah, I can do this. No, maybe I can't do this. I might be trying to do it on my own, and, go, and when I'm in pain, I say, okay, God, I need you. <laughs> I may be, again, God, I, I, maybe I haven't trust you, but I'm certainly going to trust you now. It makes me more loving. It makes me more forgiving. Pain serves a lot of good purposes. So God never wastes a hurt. Whatever you're going through, whatever problem you have, God never wastes. God never wastes anything, but he never wastes a hurt. So back to John. John later during this, uh, 30 years later, so he's writing letters. Again, the church is really persecuted. He said this, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. It's not because of our strength, but through our faith. And then he goes on, and who can win the battle against the world, the evil world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So the good news isn't God, that Jesus saves you and I from pain, problems, and difficulty. Everybody has those. The good news is that he saves you from your and my sin. We can be forgiven, that we can have a relationship with God and spend eternity with him in heaven. Can you imagine Jesus could have, he could have came off the cross and saying, eh, well, it's not worth it. Pain's not worth it. Jesus would never do that. And so whatever pain you have now, it's worth it. So back to our main verse. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you can have trials, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Knocked down, but knocked out. Listen, uh, just to bring you up to date, uh, something to celebrate. We told you we're in the operating in the red this year. Well, the month of July, we operated in the black. Praise God, right? And so continue to pray and, and to give so we can continue to function that way. Somebody's also donated a handicap wrap to the pavilion at no cost to us. So that'll be coming along too. So homework. What are some ways you can start embracing trials as an opportunity? Strengthen your faith. All right, that's what I'm leaving with you. That's your homework. We've got one more week. Next week in this series, you don't want to miss it. It's awesome, I think. So let's pray. Father God, thank you. Uh, thank you for your wisdom because 
Let's be honest, we all have pain, sorrow, and suffering. Uh, but as Jesus followers, we maybe have the false idea that maybe we shouldn't. But that's crazy. But we do go, you go through it with us. So that's a big difference. So we thank you for that. And grow us through that. And if someone's here without Jesus, we pray this, today would be the day. They say, hey, yeah, I don't want to have to go through this by myself. Jesus, I want your help. Thank you. And we thank you in Jesus' name.